Hey guys, and thanks for checking out this episode of the John Campia Show podcast, the audio-only version of the John Campia Show on YouTube. This episode was recorded on Monday, August the 24th, 2020, titled The Batman Revealed, Highs and Lows of DC Fandom. We're glad that you're joining us, guys. Remember, you can also get in a live comment or question on the live comments part of the show by simply using the tip link in the description of this podcast. That's streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show, and you'll be supporting the show at the same time. And for now, let's get to the episode. Rob, let's talk about DC fandom and the event that mm. was. Um I got to say, you know, I, I talked about this on open mic yesterday, but I know a lot of people weren't there for open mic. So as we get into a lot of the great stuff about it, let me tell you my one primary issue uh -oh. with uh, DC fandom. This was my in general I, or just yesterday's or in, the weekend's event <laughs> in, in general, the, the DC, no, the, the event, the event. <laughs> Um, at which overall, I thought it was a very well done event. Overall, I thought it was very, very well. This is my one, my one issue. And I suspected going into it that I would probably have an issue with this. And sure enough, it did. I didn't like the pre-producedness of it all. Like, right. I, now I get it. I didn't expect them to actually do it live uh, as somebody who does a live stream I can tell you there's a lot of things that can go wrong if you're trying to do it live. Not to mention if they did it live, they've got to organize and get everybody scheduled, all the celebrities' schedules lined up to make sure they're available at one particular time, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So I, I get – I would have preferred it live, but I get that they had to pre-record it. I, I didn't dig all of the – like it was so edited too. Like it was so drastically edited. I feel like if you're doing a – 25 minute suicide squad panel which was great by the way but still yeah. if you're doing that just get everybody on zoom pre-record it get everybody on zoom hit record in 25 minutes hit stop it just would have felt more natural so i i didn't like the the massive editedness of it all that kind of took me out of it a couple times and by extension what really started to irritate me was all the different times the hosts or the panels, whatever, say, oh, we're having such a great time hanging out here with you guys, the fans here at DC Fandom. It's like, dude, you recorded that two weeks ago. Quit saying we're having such a good time hanging out here with you. Don't treat the audience like idiots. We all know this is pre-recorded. You're not actually hanging out here with us. Uh, you recorded this weeks ago. But honestly, Rob, when you look at comic-con at home and then you look at dc fandom oh my god dc fandom's execution was just in it what you can't even compare them it was on such a different level than comic-con at home now great comic-con is meant to be a live event so i, I get it yeah but the, the dc fandom and if the biggest problems if your biggest problems are it felt a little pre-produced and we didn't like when people kept saying, we love hanging out with you. If those are your biggest problems, you're having a pretty good day. I, I thought overall it was a very, well, very, very well executed event. It had some things in it that I enjoyed way more. Like I was telling you beforehand, I wasn't even planning on watching it, but I stumbled across that Voices of Batman 
little mini documentary they did. Yeah. Oh, God, I loved that. I thought that was great. They did a lot of good things. Rob, we're going to go into some specifics about, you know, the Justice League, about Suicide Squad, Wonder Woman, Batman. But what were your overall impressions and what were maybe a couple of things that surprised you that you liked or maybe even a couple of surprise things you didn't like all that much? Well, first of all, this is the first time anyone's really attempted anything quite like this. And I, I like you, like I tweeted out as I started watching the initial presentation, which was Wonder Woman, I was, I felt just like you did. I'm like, I appreciate this. I appreciate hearing from everybody. I did also appreciate how they did incorporate fans. Like there was a lot of fan art that we saw from around I the world. I love, and the fan tattoos I, and yeah, cosplay. The fan I, really, it was great. I really thought that that was, that was great. But like you, Look, we live in the in the post YouTube age where we're and now in the post COVID age when everyone's used to seeing Zoom calls there. The idea that they're trying that this is a faux live event was strange because, like you said, everyone knows it's pre-recorded, But I don't think that the marketing departments have yet caught up with that. Like the idea of what DC fandom what they were thinking about is like, we're going to pretend it's live. You know I, why they needed to do that? I think was a mistake. However, after I got over my initial, okay, this is the conceit of this show. I did think it was overproduced. I mean, they wanted to keep these things down to 10 minutes. But one of the things I liked as you got into these episodes, these segments, you could see that there was some really good interplay with people. Like I, I hated the fact that you had, you had everybody addressing everybody like they were in the room at one time, like everybody was on the same Zoom call when clearly that wasn't the case. Right. That was that was weird. And but once you get over that initial shock and I wish they had a way to make it more live. And I understand with the millions of people that are commenting. But if you had people, if you already if you have people waiting in the wings, whether it's fans or whether it's somebody there, they could have figured out a way to have maybe a I don't know. It would have been tough. I, 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 but that said, because this is the first one, I thought it was very slickly produced. I really liked it. I really liked the emphasis. It wasn't just on the trailers we wanted to see. I really liked like the Sandman panel where they got into the Sandman, the new Sandman comics, in addition to the Sandman audio drama. I really liked that. I, my favorite thing, I think, was seeing Walter Hamada. Speak. Oh, I, I mean, it was you know because he is for all intents and purposes the kevin feige of yes. the dc world but we've never really seen him like he's not as no. stand up up front on stage like kevin is it was great that people got to see him you know and i've seen pictures of him in three-piece suits at various events but to see him with his his long hot you know his covid hair he looked like an anime character <laughs> you know and and i think that that immediately appealed to me so but hearing him speak understanding that there is a studio executive that totally gets it. And I think hearing him say, we are embracing the multiverse aspect of all of this and we'll see what works and, and learning that the, the upcoming Batman, the Batman trilogy doesn't have anything to do. It's its own standalone thing. The fact that they are embracing that shows me that there's the direction they're going. That's different. The MCU is all got to be of a piece. You know, and maybe they'll branch out. But what they're doing is all it all fits in just like Marvel Comics did into the same universe. But DC's going the other direction and it's working for them. And it made me more excited than ever for everything that we're going to have coming down the pike from Warner Brothers. But and, and I thought that kind of candor coming from him. I mean, I don't think even the organizers of DC fandom 
understood what what we would be getting in some of these panels in terms of the information given. And I felt the same way about Suicide Squad, you know, seeing how deep James Gunn was allowed to we'll, go into. We'll, we'll, we'll go, yeah, we'll we'll go into Suicide that. Squad yeah, yeah. A, little, a little bit later there. So I, I thought overall, John, great event. Yeah. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. And by the way, I think a lot of people need to remember, too, with some of the hiccups and some of the, you know, maybe it doesn't feel so natural here and there. This wasn't just DC's first time doing this. This was basically the first time anybody had done something like this right. other than Comic-Con at home. And like I said, compare it to Comic-Con at home, like Comic-Con at home here, DC fandom here. Like they but just hey, such did such a better job. But I just want to. I just want to point out that Warner Brothers had all the money they wanted to throw at well, this. Well, yes, yes. Comic Con <laughs> is a Comic Con is a nonprofit. So, and I think Comic Con, like like uh, there were some panels at Comic Con that were very lo-fi, like the 15-year anniversary of Constantine, where you had Keanu Reeves, Francis Lawrence, and Akiva Goldsman just talking. I love that, you know. And yeah. I thought that the, in terms of content, it was it was great. But I just think that remember, this was free. We got yeah. this great, beautifully produced piece of content. I understand people are going to be like, Rob, you know, corporate, it's just one long corporate commercial. I'm like, but yeah, but that's what I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> so and, and you I know what? Here's that. the thing, though. I was afraid of it just being when I saw 10 minute panels, but two things. When they announced that they were splitting it into two days, and the, the second part, which is going to be in three weeks, is all longer QA sessions panels. And then you saw those, as you pointed out, those little fan art uh, vignettes, those little uh, you know tattoos, cosplay stuff. They really did the little things to make it, while it is a big corporate PR event, they really did the little things to really make it feel like a fan event. And right. that was my big worry going into it. My big worry was it was just going to feel like a big corporate press release, but they did the little things to make it feel like a real fan event. And... And I appreciated that. And so we're going to have some specific things to talk about here. Well, uh, well, sorry, go ahead, Rob. There's one more thing that I wanted to say about it. And I've read a lot, a lot of people online talking about, oh, there was a there was an overarching sort of social justice element to this virtue signaling and all that. I have to say I disagree. Another thing that I really, really liked about this was that they, in an attempt, the hosts that they had on, especially seeing the, the hosts from people from the Brazil Comic-Con, I liked the fact that this felt worldwide. The fan art was coming from all over the world, that we saw people, hosts from all over the planet, and it was subtle, but the fact that these characters and DC product and Warner Brothers superhero films are truly global in nature, I appreciated that. Uh, the fact that they didn't rely on the standard, you know, pundits that you would see here, like L.A. based punditry. I thought that they moved completely away from that. I thought that was awesome. Well, I mean, and the other thing, too, is this. If you're at all shocked or surprised that a comic industry entity would talk about or represent or allude to social awareness, inclusion, social justice if you're surprised by that then you don't know the first thing about comic book history right. uh, because that's what the whole that's what comic book history has been predicated on in in many ways but I, and again like a few little things that i knew would nitpick me but i gotta tell you dc fandom exceeded my expectations yeah, it really too. did it exceeded my expectations and listen guys we do have some main topics to get here first we're gonna deviate away from dc fandom just for a second 
for this first topic. And so we're going to go into our main topics now. Now, how do we select our main topics here on the John Campion Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You guys come up with them by going anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's absolutely and totally free. Hit submit. And then maybe, just maybe, you might see your topic or question featured here on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today is actually a couple days old, but I forgot to cover it at the end of last week. But fortunately, somebody wrote in about it. This one comes to us from Colton M. who writes, Hey, John, love the show. Thank you so much, Colton. Well, J.C. Chandor has just been announced to direct the Craven the Hunter movie for Sony. Do you think Sony is rushing to get a universe going? What do you think about the director? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, they we, we were just talking about Craven the Hunter last week when they announced that they were getting the Spider-Woman going, at least what we assume is a Spider-Woman going um, uh, uh, over there. And we talked about the fact that they had still been talking about Craven the Hunter. Well, they're moving ahead with Craven the Hunter, and they have indeed gone out and got themselves director J.C. Chandor to be the director of it. I think this is great news on a couple of fronts. Number one, we all got excited about the notion of a Craven the Hunter movie. What was it, a year and a half ago when the, when it, when the idea for it first got floated? Like a year and a half ago, we all got excited about it. Little bummed out that kind of seemed to go to the back burner, but now it's back. And as far as a director like J.C. Chander goes, here's the thing. This guy's directed four feature films that, uh, of note. One was the film he did. It was kind of a solo movie in many ways with Robert Redford, All is Lost. 94% rating on uh, on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Then he did that movie with uh, Jessica Chastain, Oscar, um, uh, I thought it was Oscar, Oscar Isaac. It Oscar is Oscar Isaac. Most Violent Year. So good, John. A, it is such a good movie. Scored eight, an 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. Then he did Margin Call, which I really loved. I, th I thought that one was quite strong. That got an 87%. And then most recently, he did Triple Frontier, Probably his worst movie. Still pretty good. <laughs> and he ended up scoring a 70% on Rotten Tomatoes. And he did that with a killer cast from Pedro Pascal uh, with Batman himself, Ben Affleck, the true Ben Affleck, uh, the true Batman, I should say. Uh, at any rate, this is the guy. You got fresh blood who's got a couple of major motion pictures under his belt, and he's done a terrific job. And by the way, these are four very different kinds of movies. It's not like he's only got one kind of style and he's a one-trick pony. These are four very, very different kinds of films. And for Sony to go out and get a guy like this, Rob, uh, I think is exciting. I think that they're bringing in a, a young guy like this to do something. And the fact that they're just doing Craven to the point of, are they rushing? No, they've had Craven the Hunter for how long? How long have they had this? And they first started talking about developing this like a year and a half ago. I feel no sense of panic. I feel no sense of rushing. If they had been rushing it, then the moment <clears throat> that Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse had any kind of success, they would have announced release dates in the next 16 months for five different movies. They didn't do that. I feel like they have been taking their time with this. And now they're actually making announcements, bringing on the director. I think this sounds great. Rob, you heard about this. What are your impressions? Well, first of all, the Craven the Hunter storyline is one of my favorites, and I mean, remember this is the this would be the fourth uh, Spider Verse movie 
or w- w- don't they have a special name for it? Chum or something? Whatever. This uh, whatever they remember spunk. 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 This would be the fourth after bet- behind Venom, um, <laughs> Morbius, Venom Two, and now this one. And this to me is the obvious. This shows that they know what they're doing. Uh, they've got a great director who probably has a great take. That's why he was hired. Uh, it's a perfect person to 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 do it. And you know, <laughs> we still Morbius got pushed into 2021, so we've got two basically finished. I'm sure Venom Two is in post production, but Morbius is done. It was already supposed to come out. So this is not this isn't anything that's been rushed. I mean, once they saw the success of Venom, all bets were off. I'm surprised they didn't announce this second but they went with morbius which shows that they're, they're they're slowly building up to their own sinister six or whatever the hell they're doing this is being very carefully considered it's very methodical and i think very smart rob let me ask you this when when we're seeing things like these different movies they're they're putting together and mm. what the characters that are available to sony to do what makes craven a good choice and, and why why is it people like me get excited at the idea of craven why why do you think a craven <clears throat> is a good movie to make at this time and a good character to use here well first of all despite the fact that there's artwork that makes him look you know larger than life craven harks back to that the old the most dangerous game story when the most the, the most dangerous game is man is man to hunt and craven is a he he's a guy that really just wants to well Go after Spider-Man and put a bullet between his eyes. <laughs> Take him out. <laughs> I mean, he's not some villain bent on world domination. He's he believes in sort of the rules of nature, the the apex predator going after apex prey, and I'm going to show the world just how good I am, and I'm going to show you how much better than you I am. And I think that there's, you know, I think the most interesting opponents. We always talk about how the the best villains are those the best movies have the best villains and the fact that craven he basically only wants to hunt spider-man that's his that's steel and he isn't going to stop until he finishes and i love that that he i love that he's a man that has made a decision to go after his prey and his prey happens to be a beloved character so immediately you're like uh that puts the whole situation into it's stark relief and so to speak because there will be no tony stark to save him but it's i just like that it's simple it's easy it's also diabolical and i think it makes the 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 idea irresistible and the fact that he does have his interesting past it's 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 the kind of villain that you can immediately get behind and if they have if they cast a charismatic actor to play craven i could see it being the hans gruber of the spider verse and mm. it could be great now here's the question i i don't think he's going to be hunting spider-man because i, I don't think they're going to have right. spider-man yet uh, but i love the idea i mean i remember you and i talked about this before i love the idea that craven catches wind of this alien creature that's on yeah. earth the ultimate prey and he hunts venom Yep. I mean, like, there's something about that that just gets the Ghiblis, you know, going. I, 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 I love the idea. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this announcement? Do you like the idea that they're going in the direction of a Craven the Hunter? What do you think about the director choice? I personally think it sounds really good. Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move into main topic number two. 
getting on into some DC fandom stuff. And we're going to get things started here at number two with S. Beam, who writes, I was watching DC fandom and uh, Suicide Squad 2 came on. Actually, it's just The Suicide Squad, I think they're calling it. While happy for James Gunn and his success, it still slightly bothered me that he was saying it was the best movie he's ever done. Considering the work he has done for Marvel, I'm sure it won't affect Guardians 3. I get it. It's not show friends. It's show business. But I feel a bit dismayed. Anyway, what are your thoughts about the Suicide Squad 2 uh, after fandom? Uh, I am excited to see what he has made. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And uh, yeah. Yeah. One of the interesting things, and I got to say, as far as just the pure panel goes, the Suicide Squad panel at DC Fandom was absolutely, I thought, without question, the best one. I, I, I thought it was hands down. It was filled with energy and filled with um you could feel the chemistry between the different people james gunn is like a terrific mc for something like that i love the way he introduced michael roker like what exactly did he say it's like he's introducing everybody and it was something along the lines of and I lost a bet, so I had to have Michael Rocker in the film or something. It was something like that. You could just feel the playfulness of it. Everybody's having a good time. They're talking about the movie. It was a fabulous panel. I absolutely loved it. And of course, they announced all the characters and who each actor is playing. Primo. It was just a fabulous, fabulous panel. And the teaser trailer was great, but we'll talk about that in a second. One of the things I got to say, S-Beam, that I also looked at, you know, my own, my wife, when we were watching this and said, uh, when he said, this is the best cast I ever worked with. I'm like, I wonder what Chris Pratt is saying right now, what Chris Pratt and Dave Batista, who have been like supportive of him. But at the end of the day, he is a filmmaker at a PR event promoting his film. And of course, and by the way, this is probably... Remember, when Warner Brothers got James Gunn from from Disney, they were basically, and Rob, I think this is important. Everybody forgets this. When Disney decided to part ways initially with James Gunn, there basically became a bidding war that every single, we found this is official, every single major studio lined up and made offers to James Gunn. And he had the opportunity to go and do whatever he wanted. So you got to know that Warner Brothers was basically saying, pick anything you want to do and could basically consider it unlimited resources, whatever you want. You want 20 stars in your movie? We'll make it happen. You want to have X number of location shots? Done. You want to have a budget that you can make sure you do everything you want to do? Done. And when you're able to bring in, by the way, there's like four people involved with guardians of the galaxy that are also in this film by the way don't forget that <clears throat> when you're able to bring together all your friends and all these big actors that you love working with in a crazy bonkers kind of story that james Gunn's thrives in and you're able you're just basically given the keys to the kingdom well, of course he's going to have a great time and of course from a professional point of view he's going to say this is the best movie i've ever done this is a, my favorite cast and favorite experience making movie of course he is i honestly don't think any any of his other friends chris pratt zoe saldana dave batista i don't think any of them were sitting at home going how come he didn't say we were his favorite i i don't think there's any of that at all i think it's perfectly fine and just talking about that teaser 
that sizzle reel feature, whatever you want to call it. I thought it was bonkers, like absolutely lunatic level craziness. And I cannot wait for them to, to debut this. I, it sucks that it's still a year away, but whatever. I thought the panel was great. I thought what James Gunn said was perfectly fine. I don't think you have to worry about it at all. And I thought the teaser stuff they showed was fantastic. Rob, I know you you like that Suicide Squad panel. What are your overall impressions here? Well, first of all, you know, I don't think that that what James Gunn was saying about his experience on Suicide Squad has anything to do with anything else he's made in his career. You know, he was talking about the experience of making that movie. And I, as a viewer, when I was watching that Suicide Squad trailer, I'm like, King Shark is in this movie <laughs> alongside yeah. Polka Dot Man and the Weasel. And I'm just looking, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I was not thinking about Guardians of the Galaxy. I was not thinking about James Gunn's previous filmography, like Tromeo and Juliet. I wasn't thinking about any of that. I'm watching what I'm seeing in front of me, thinking, I cannot believe a major motion picture studio has allowed a director like James Gunn, despite his past success, despite the fact that he's always done bonkers things, being given a big budget to go into the DC universe to extract these kinds of deep cut villains and do the crazy insanity that I was just watching behind the scenes of, I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> and, and I, I, you know, when James Gunn is talking about how much fun he's having, I don't think he was saying that at the expense of anything else he's done previously. I'm thinking if I'm, if he was having as much fun directing this as I'm having watching this right now, now, I love Guardians of the Galaxy. I love Guardians of the Galaxy 2 a lot more than most people. But those movies have nothing to do with watching King Shark and Polka Dot Man in some kind of war situation. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable that this movie got made. No wonder he's saying he's having a good time. And I think he's only speaking about this particular experience because, my God, John, uh, I am very, very excited to see this movie after seeing the DC Fandom panel on it and, and seeing the teaser they did with the artwork when they introduced who's playing what character and then seeing this sort of two-minute behind-the-scenes teaser trailer, hearing the actors talk and seeing the all this explosion footage. I didn't realize it looks like a flat-out dirty dozen men and creatures yeah. on a mission movie. Uh, I mean, it just looks like, who doesn't want to see this? This looks amazing. And it was, a, I didn't even notice it the first two times I saw the footage because it only happens in about three frames, but there's a shot where King Shark is picking up a guy and about to eat him. I'm like, what the hell? They're putting Dude. this in this movie. <laughs> I had to go back when I first saw that. I'm like, wait a minute. Did I just see that? And I'm like, yes, I did. And you know that dude's probably going to get torn asunder, like torn in half, blood going everywhere. Who who, who won't love this movie? I mean, of by course. The way, and by the I'll, way, I'll put epic. five bucks. I'll put five bucks that Taika Waititi is voicing King Shark. I'll put five bucks on because Taika Waititi was in the credits. And when they had the guy, when they did the panel, they introduced yeah. the one guy and James Gunn specifically introduced him as our on-set King Shark. And I can't remember the guy's name. So that tells me that that guy is doing what Sean Gunn did with Rocket Raccoon and Guardians of the Galaxy. Sean Gunn was, of course, the on-set Rocket Raccoon. And then later, Bradley Cooper voiced him. I bet you anything, because we didn't see Taika Waititi in there. I bet you anything Taika Waititi is voicing King Shark. Dude, if Taika Waititi, if King Shark has an, an uh, uh, a Kiwi accent, I, uh, that would kill me. That, I, awesome. I, I would die. 
you know, kill Robert. <laughs> I, I just, it would just be like, it, it makes sense that King Shark would be a Maori warrior. I love oh, this. I, I just, I, the there's nothing about <laughs> this suicide squad situation <laughs> that I do not love. I thought it was the best panel at DC Fandom. Anyway, guys, question is, what did you make of the, the footage, the panel they did for it? Maybe you're not buying into it the way like Rob and I are. Maybe you're, you're, you see some legitimate concerns. Maybe you are getting as excited for it as we are. What do you guys think? Jump into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to our third main topic today. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Angry Irish Benjamin, who writes... <laughs> So, you may have noticed that Zack Snyder went after Forbes's uh, reporter, Scott Mendelson, on Twitter for criticizing a leaked teaser of the Snyder Cut. I'm so sick of hearing about this Justice League thing, and I'm even sicker of Zack Snyder's weak excuses for why people react badly to his movies. How about you? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And, uh, yeah, I mean, look, this was there obviously one of the big things going into um, DC fandom was the fact that we were going to get our first legitimate peek at what the Snyder cut is going to be like, and we were going to get our first real pick. I mean, Zach had, had, had sent out like some stills before and some concept stuff, but this was going to be our first actual look at what some of this new stuff was going to be. Here's the situation. And again, I talked about this on open mic yesterday, but obviously this is a significant topic for us to cover here. So uh, there's a very, very good film journalist out there by the name of Scott Mendelson, uh, who works with Forbes. So he's Forbes' guy. Now, a version, not a version, the Suicide Squad or sorry, the Justice League teaser did leak before it aired on DC Fandom. And Scott Mendelson is one of the guys who said it, who saw it, I should say. Scott Mendelson said, for those of you who don't know what, what the situation is, Scott Mendelson said the following. He said, so that trailer for the Snyder Cut of Justice League looks like the same movie. Lots of deleted scenes from the marketing campaign, but otherwise it looks like an, uh, it looks like alternate takes of existing scenes. That's what Scott Mendelson said. Now, you may agree with his assessment. Frankly, I do, but I'll get to that in just a second. Or you may disagree with his assessment. I think, though, if you are rational and if you are objective, there's nothing particularly objective or sorry, uh, uh, there's nothing necessarily um, mean. There's nothing incendiary. There's nothing like th this was a guy who saw the piece, by the way, didn't spoil anything like he did see it before it aired on DC Phantom, but he doesn't spoil anything about it. He doesn't say anything about it. He doesn't say anything overly mean or critical. He just said, I saw it kind of looks like the same movie to me with a few extra shots put in. I, I personally thought whether you agree with that assessment or disagree, there was absolutely nothing wrong with what he said. It was even handed. He was expressing his thought on it. There's nothing wrong with that. Zack Snyder didn't react so well to it, though. And Zack Snyder decided to hop on Twitter and say, you said you enjoyed the theatrical cut of Justice League, so you enjoy your Sunday morning cartoons, the way you enjoy your Sunday morning cartoons. Well, this is made for grown-ups. 
This is the same guy who put in, is she with you? I thought she was with you. Da, 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 da. But whatever. Uh, so this is made for grownups. You're not the demographic. Also cool of you to comment on a leaked teaser. Again, I want to point out that Scott didn't actually say anything about the leaked teaser. He didn't give anything away, nor did he say. And I got to say, look, Zach needs to, when it comes to reacting to criticism about films, look, it's part of the gig. If you're going to make movies, and put out movies, then it's going to be the job of some other people to give their commentary and their thoughts and their opinions on your movies. And you just got to accept that and deal with that. And you just need to grow up a bit and deal with that. Now, I understand the irony is not lost on me that the guy who's just saying, I peed my pants because Ben Affleck is back as Batman. Believe me, the irony is not lost on me that I'm the guy who's saying that. But still, nonetheless, I think he's just going to have to accept that and not react like that. Because guess what? He's going to spend 24-7 for the next two years, doing nothing but getting in Twitter fights with people who dare criticize or say anything anything less than perfect about what his thing is. That being said, that being said, do I agree with Scott Mendelson when he says that, hey, to me, this basically felt like the same thing, just with some deleted scenes? Yeah, I do. As a matter of fact, I do agree with him. It kind of does. But I would also ask Scott Mendelson and everybody else who was online saying it just kind of felt like the same thing. I would ask this. What the hell were you expecting? What were you? What this this Zack Snyder Justice League thing isn't coming out for another freaking year. It's like a year away. What were you expecting? You think the very first thing? That they're going to show like the very first little teaser that they're giving a year ahead of time is going to be a 20 minute long full thing of all the biggest and craziest shots that weren't in the theatrical version. Do you think that's what they're going to put into the very first teaser? Of course not. That would be idiotic for them to do. Now, look, I said this before, too. If DC fandom had happened, say, three months before the Zack Snyder Justice League cut was supposed to come out on HBO. If, if, if DC Fandom was three months before that, then the teaser that they showed would have been completely different. And I guarantee you, as we get closer to when this is actually going to air on HBO Max, as we actually get closer, we are going to start to see more and more things. But I am telling you right now that for a first look at something that is a year away, what Zack Snyder and Warner Brothers and HBO Max put together in this little teaser was exactly what it should have been and exactly what it needed to be. This is the first look. So this little teaser says to the audience, hey guys, this is Justice League. You know, you saw just this is Justice League. Ah, but it's not the same Justice League. Look, there's Iris West. Look, there's Darkseid. You know, it was, I don't like using the word perfect, but it was perfect. For again, do not let the context elude you here. The context is, it is our first time getting a peek and it is for something that's not coming out for a year. You want them to give everything away in the first thing? You want them to come out and just make it look like it's something completely different and show all the biggest shots that nobody knew were in there? And what? No, what Zack Snyder and Warner Brothers put together in this first teaser was exactly what a first teaser should have been. 
a reminder of what it is and a, a reminder of how it's the same, but also wrote a stark reminder of how it's going to be different and just in little doses. And I thought the message was clear. To me, watching that thing, I thought the message was, this is Justice League. Ah, but it's a different Justice League. That's the message they needed to convey. That's the message that this teaser trailer conveyed. So again, I agree. It felt like Justice League with some different shots, but that's what the hell were we expecting? That's exactly what it should have been. And look, I am not afraid to criticize Warner Brothers for PR moves and things like that. Everybody knows I have no problem criticizing for this, but what they put together, in my opinion, for a first look a year in advance of this Snyder Cut thing, it was perfection. It was exactly what it should have been. And so I agree. It kind of looks like that movie, but that's irrelevant because that's exactly what it should look like. Anyway, that's my thoughts on it. Rob, you and I have not had a chance to talk about no. uh, the Snyder Cut trailer that we've seen. You know, we, we've talked about other things offline, but we haven't talked about this. You hear some people saying it, it looks a little bit like the other thing. You're saying maybe they expected to see more of this. I, I don't know. What were your overall impressions of this Justice League Snyder Cut uh, <clears throat> well, teaser? The, the first thing I want to talk about, Scott Mendelson, just for a minute. He reviewed as a as as a journalist who who, uh, you know, I have a I have a love hate relationship with what he writes, but I respect him. And I read most of what he writes about covering the film industry. I think Zack Snyder's first initial uh it was he reviewed a leaked trailer. He reviewed something that was dumped online early before the actual uh, premiere of this trailer. And I think one of the things that really incensed Zack Snyder is that um, you by doing that, you are it's your tacit approval of people who steal promotional materials and put it out there first. Now, I watched that trailer, too, and took two frame grabs from it before it had been released and used it in the thumbnail of my of my YouTube show. But, you know, uh, that's a different thing. I'm not I'm not a well-respected journalist with Forbes doing these things. So I think part of Zack Snyder's reaction to it was that it was leaked and it wasn't shown in its best form. And then Scott Mendelson was jumping on the uh, on the jumping the gun and I I don't think Zack Snyder cuz look he's suffered a lot of slings and arrows and he doesn't just go after every single critic and you can't do that so I don't think Zack Snyder's going to chase anyone just, I think it was this particular instance it's like look man I've come this far why do you have to rob the fans of this and offer your opinion before everyone else had seen it i think if he said the same thing after the trailer had debuted debuted at fandom he wouldn't have cared that said i i think exactly what you think about the trailer to to an uninitiated observer and to a casual fan it's like well it looks like justice league but if you know the material as you pointed out Iris West being saved. There's that great shot with a car, the diehard, live free or diehard shot when the car flips over her, yeah. the flash runs out. If you know the movie, you get to see Ray Fisher playing football in the stands. You get to see Superman in the black suit. You get to see these effect shots that we haven't seen any before. You see Dark Side. And what it says to me, all of those shots, if you're an astute viewer that understands the movie, shows that there's a lot more story that you didn't get. And while, oh yeah, it looks like Justice League, well, none of those shots really were the same. It's all story beats that we haven't seen before. And that's why I thought the trailer was pretty 
It did exactly what it was supposed to do. You said the trailer was perfect. I would say that, wow, it got me excited as a lifelong Justice League fan because I'm like, these are all story threads that weren't in Joss Whedon's Justice League. These are all unique story threads that you're only going to see in this new four-hour version, and you'd have to really understand the movie, and that trailer was made specifically I mean, on one hand, yeah, it looks cool for the layperson, but if you've supported the Snyder Cut and you've really wanted to see this version, this was pretty, this was like the ultimate, I mean, this was an orgasm-inducing trailer, if I do say so myself. I loved it. Yeah, and again, I, I don't want to, I'm not saying that it is a perfect trailer, period. I just think when you understand, and I think it's important because I get it, we as fans always want more. Like, we we always want more, more, more. It was almost but, three minutes. Yeah, but we also got to understand that there is an art to this. There is a pace they have to take. They don't want to start dropping too much too early. And I, again, I thought, and I know I'm putting a bit of an asterisk beside this, but still, when you consider it's the first look, it's a year away. By the way, I think everybody should just be happy that they showed anything because today you don't show things a year in advance generally. But this thing's a year away. You've got to start the process of just bringing people in. And I think when you understand all that, the nuances of it, and I know Zach was very involved in putting this trailer together. What Zach and Warner Brothers did, I thought was not just a masterclass in taking great shots and throwing them into a trailer. It was a masterclass of understanding your audience. Mm -hmm. It was a masterclass in understanding your circumstances. It was a masterclass in understanding pacing and building to something a little bit later. You don't want to get everybody. Cause remember what happened with Godzilla King of the monsters. Remember that? Like they dropped the trailer like this full, like blitz media blitz a year before the movie came out. And by the time the movie did come out like a year later, it's like, oh, that movie hasn't still hasn't come out yet. It's just coming out now. It's like everybody was almost exhausted and fatigued before the movie even came. I think Snyder recognized that. I think Warner Brothers understood that. And I think seriously, the level of sophistication, because Rob, you know, I've been kind of immersed in trailers lately because of the project I'm working on. No. Yeah. So, but the, the level of sophistication, I think that went into this trailer. I honestly don't think there is a single thing that could have been done better. I, I honestly think it was for the circumstances. It was absolute perfection. And, uh, and, and for everybody who's, Jones in to see more, you'll see more in time. And then they'll put out at the right time the next little bit. And they're going to build us up so we crescendo with this thing coming out on HBO Max instead of us being exhausted by it by the time it comes out on HBO Max. Well, And uh, I think they're handling it perfectly. I do too. And remember, if Zack Snyder finally came out and said what form we're going to see this. It's, it's four hour long segments. Rich, which is what we suspected. So this is like a double length. You're getting twice as much movie. That's a lot of movie. That's a lot of stuff we haven't seen before. It's not like it's a director's cut with five minutes or 10 minutes. This is a, a, a second film. This is like the movie had a baby and, and it's a whole nother movie. So that's exciting. Yeah. So again, like personally, guys, I, I think there's there isn't a single way I can even think of that this could have been handled better. I, I really don't. I thought it looked great, but there's more to come. Guys, what did you think about the whole thing? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. 
With that down and out of the way, let's now move on to main topic number four. And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Michael Stevenson. And Michael Stevenson writes, Hey, John and Rob. One of my most anticipated things at DC Fandom was the new Wonder Woman 84 trailer. I wasn't disappointed, but I will admit I wasn't crazy about the cheetah stuff. Some of it just looked terrible, but the movie feels like it's going to be a blast. What did you guys think of the trailer and and the panel they did? Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, one of the things that I was really looking forward to, because I'm all about Patty Jenkins. I was looking forward to that Wonder Woman 84 panel, even though it was only going to be like a few minutes long. Uh, And it was the very first thing they kicked off DC fandom with. I will tell you this. I didn't think the panel itself was like overly amazing. I didn't think the panel itself was overly amazing. It was probably one of the worst ones in terms of really hyper edited and, and chopped yeah. together and, and stuff like that. It really was. Uh, but Rob, you know, one of the things that I really was surprised by, you know, while I think she is improving and getting, getting better, I, I'm not, I don't have the highest opinion of Gal Gadot's acting ability. Although I, I do think she's getting better. What really surprised me was out of all the, some very seasoned actors like a Chris Pine and stuff like that are there easily the most natural charismatic person who really felt like if you were a fan watching that you were welcome there and you were a part of it Gal Gadot crushed it in a panel kind of environment and it's not easy some people think it's easy to just be really warm and welcoming and charismatic and charming while you're doing a panel but you looked at some of the other panel members on that even a guy like chris pine who i love chris pine but he didn't make me feel welcome or or like this panel was fun or charming like when when he was talking i thought she did a great job even though Patty Jenkins was the was the the host of the panel, and Patty Jenkins was great too, don't get me wrong. But I thought the person who really carried that panel and made me feel like I wanted to keep watching was actually Gal Gadot. I, I thought she did a terrific. If I'm a producer and I know I'm sending her out to represent the film, I'm feeling pretty good about it because I thought she did a great job with that. But really, it was all about it was all about the trailer, right? It was all about the trailer. I'll say I enjoyed the trailer. I like the trailer, but let's get to the elephant or the cheetah, as it were, in the room. Cheetah didn't look great. Um, Now, we only got a couple of seconds of Cheetah, but for those few seconds we saw of Cheetah and as she's fighting Wonder Woman, I saw somebody online mention this and I thought that's a perfect comparison. It kind of felt like that shot in Black Panther when Black Panther and Killmonger are in their Black Panther outfits and fighting as they're falling down and looked very, very CGI and it looked a great scene and everything, but that part felt very, very CGI and a little awkward and a little bit odd. I think that was a good comparison to the Cheetah stuff. Now, all the other times when Cheetah doesn't look like that and she's just in other outfits, I thought she looked great. I thought she looked absolutely wonderful. But unfortunately, even though there's a lot of good stuff in that Wonder Woman 84 trailer, um, unfortunately, the thing we end up kind of talking about is the cheetah stuff. But overall, I thought it was really good. I actually, I love the line, Rob, 
when they're in the plane and he's like, don't worry, the way I fly, they'll never find us. Uh, I never told you about radar. It's like, what? Are they going to shoot at us? I don't know why. I thought that was hilarious. I thought that was great. So I like the trailer. I thought it was a solid trailer. Not the best one they've done so far, although they did give us a little bit more of the story. Uh, but unfortunately, it's hard not to talk about that CGI cheetah. Anyway, Rob, you had a look at it. What were your overall impressions of that Wonder Woman 84 stuff? Well, the, you know, the movie, the, 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 the movie looks handsomely made, and, and I really like what's going on there. The one thing that I'm not feeling is the overall story that I feel that they're sort of keeping under wraps. Clearly, Maxwell Lord, there's some kind of magic wish fulfillment thing that's happening here where people's wishes are coming true. And I think that's how Steve Trevor comes back and Cheetah becomes Cheetah. And that seems like it could be a little goofy. I mean, they've sort of kept that under wraps. And the conflict between Cheetah and Wonder Woman seems a little small to me but that's just because they haven't told us the whole story but other than that i mean like you said i really like the character interplay it looks really interesting i like the period and i've look i love maxwell lord as a villain i have since he was introduced in justice league back in the 80s and um pedro pascal playing him seems to be quite amusing so i'm 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 all in on this and i really like patty jenkins and i really like the first wonder woman so i'm excited they made another one yeah, you know, it's funny. It, it clearly, like, I thought the the best thing we got at DC Fandom was was uh, the Batman trailer, which we'll talk about here in a minute. I thought the next best thing was probably that Suicide Squad. It was just so unexpected. Yeah. There was so much unexpected stuff in it. Again, I thought the Snyder Cut thing was utter perfection. It's unfortunate because one of the things I am most looking forward to coming out of DC, again, because of Patty Jenkins, is that Wonder Woman 84. I'm still looking forward to it. And you know what, Rob? I got a feeling it's going to be one of those situations where a lot of times visual effects don't quite look right on a television screen. And then when you see them on the big screen in a movie theater, they just look a little bit different. I have a feeling it's going to look a little bit – the Cheetah stuff's going to look a little bit better. But again, for me, it starts and ends with the director. As long as Patty Jenkins is directing this thing, I will have all the faith in the world in this movie i love what she did at the first one i think these trailers have been solid um and uh you're right it still feels like they're holding a lot a lot back and maybe they need to just give us a little bit more but we'll see the question is guys what did you think about number one the wonder woman panel at uh, dc fandom and what did you think about that trailer I, I understand it's tough to not talk about the cheetah cgi stuff but what did you think about it overall other than that jump down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to our fifth and final main topic today. And our fifth and final main topic today gets submitted to us by JT. And JT writes into us, Greetings, uh, John and gang. Well, greetings, JT. At DC Fandom on Saturday, we got our first look at Matt Reeves' The Batman. From the Q&A to the trailer, what did you think of our first look at the movie? Thanks, and bring on the filthy. All right, man. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yeah, what we were all waiting for, when we were hanging around our phones and tablets and televisions all day, waiting for 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time to hit, was the longest panel of the day, 30-minute panel, Matt Reeves, talking about the Batman. 
First of all, let's let me say this. It really wasn't a panel. It was just Matt Reeves standing there talking to Aisha Tyler. But I was fascinated by that discussion. Hearing him talk about this is Bruce uh, about a year and a half into being Batman. He's in year two of being Batman. He's still making mistakes. He hasn't ironed out all the edges yet. The people of Gotham still don't know what to make of this. Bat they don't see him as their hero yet. They still don't really know what to make of him. He's still building his reputation with the police. Like this is that Batman we're getting into and hearing him talk about the influences and, and all that kind of stuff, I thought was really interesting. So I was sitting there really eating it up. As a matter of fact, we got 20 minutes into it and I realized, oh, we haven't gotten to the trailer yet. And I, I realized like, cause with some of the other panels, Rob, I was like, come on, come on, come on, get to the trailer, get to the trailer, get to the footage, <laughs> right. come on, come on, come on. But I realized like we were 20 minutes into Matt Reeves just talking about this movie. And I wasn't, I wasn't feeling antsy at all. I'm like, I'm eating this up. This is great. But then, then we got to it and the Batman trailer was dropped and the Batman trailer was played. Let me tell you the two things, Rob, the two things about this Batman trailer that I did not like. Okay. Because this is all I got when it comes to what I don't like. These two little things is all I got. The one thing I didn't really like, and I talked about this a little bit on open mic yesterday. I got to admit, while I love the casting of you guys know, I love the casting of Robert Pattinson. I, I didn't really dig the look of Pattinson as Bruce Wayne. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's the traditionalist in me. Maybe I wanted more like you know, high and tight kind of a haircut, a little more clean cut, whatever for Bruce Wayne. Eh whatever. So that's, that's like one of my big problems. The only other thing I didn't like about the trailer, and you may laugh at this, Rob. Um, I didn't like the line when he beat the hell out of the guy and then says, I'm vengeance. To me, that felt like a line that is perfect in a comic book panel, but playing live didn't really, I don't know, didn't fit the, the scene for me for whatever reason. Like, I don't know. What what did I want him to say after beating the shit out of him? What did I want? I'm your mama's boyfriend. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know what I was expecting him to say. But for whatever thing, I wanted Bruce Wayne a little bit more clean and tight and neat like the playboy he is. Or the I'm vengeance line. Aside from that. Aside from that. I loved this trailer far more than I expected that I would. Because Rob, first of all, I love the costume. I love the costume. It was very reminiscent of the Arkham games to me. I thought the, uh, the costume looked top shelf. I was very, very happy. We had already seen the logo before, and I was already down with the logo. But now that I really see it in a moving, breathing environment, I, I am all on board with it. I think now, you know me, I don't actually think the costumes are all that important. The costumes don't make the movie much better, nor do they make them much worse. But hey, if you can like the costume, I loved it. I thought the costume looked great. So I'm all on board with that. I thought it looked great. Rob, going in to DC fandom, Matt Reeves over the years, since he's been working on this, had told us and promised us four things. He said, this will be a more grounded feeling Batman. If I may borrow your term, Rob, he was telling us we were going to get verisimilitude. 
So we were going, this was going to be a more grounded Batman. He also said this was going to be a grittier feeling Batman and Gotham than we have seen before. So it's going to be more grounded. It was going to be grittier. He also promised us it was going to emphasize and look at the detective aspect of Batman, something that even in some of the best Batman iterations on screen we've had, haven't really delved into very deeply. So he promised grounded, grittier, detective. He also promised us, though, Rob, beyond, beyond that, what's the better? I, I didn't like the word I, wording I used yesterday, but he also promised us a... What's the word I'm looking for here? It's not uh, a violent, but an unpolished, if you will, right. kind of bat a Batman in the making. And as you're watching this trailer, I I'm watching this thing, Rob, and I can hear the dings in my head as all those four checkboxes are being marked off. Definitely feels more grounded. Definitely feels grittier. This is definitely a seven kind of murder mystery detective kind of thing. And then, oh my God, Rob, that scene, I'm going to see, I don't know if I can find it, but that scene where he gets his hands on this dude and beats the living snot out of him. <laughs> Just bang, bang, and then he gets on him and just continues to, for MMA terms, ground and pound, Rob. In MMA, we call that ground and pound. When he takes that fool down and grounds and, pound, and pounds that, I'll tell you what it was reminiscent for me. As soon as I saw that scene of how this, because in a lot of Batman movies, he would have hit him and the guy would have dropped. No, that wasn't enough. Batman is going to punish this guy. And we saw the rage of the Batman. And and remember, Matt Reeves in the panel before the trailer said, this is a Batman who hasn't quite refined exactly who he is yet. He still makes some mistakes. He doesn't really have any restraint yet. And I'm watching this and he is just butchering this fool. And there's a visceralness to it. It's not just that he threw eight punches. There's a visceralness to the way he threw those punches that really communicated the rage of the bat. That and, and I'm watching this and I'm realizing halfway through this trailer, I am grinning ear to ear through this thing. Like absolutely grinning ear to ear through this thing. Now there are some people online, Rob, who are saying, Oh, he killed the guy. He clearly killed the guy. I'm like, if you think that would have killed him, you've never watched UFC. A lot of guys get a lot of ground and pound and they live. So I, I don't know if he killed them there. I kind of hope he did. But um, it looks awesome. The voice of the Riddler going through throughout it, telling the little story about the it, Again, it felt like seven. It felt like all this stuff. It's a Batman. Rob, we always talk about this. When you're doing a Batman or a Joker, the first trick and hurdle you got to overcome is figure out a way to make this Joker or this Batman feel like this is clearly the Joker or the Batman, yet do it in a different way than it's been done before. We certainly got that with Joaquin Phoenix's. It, it didn't feel like any of the other Jokers, yet it clearly felt like Joker. And I feel like Matt Reese has done that with this Batman. This is clearly Batman, but clearly unlike any other Batman we've ever had. And I'll, I'll tell you, Rob, I've watched this trailer about 40, 50 times. Uh, I, I appreciate it more and more every time I watch it. And he's only shot 25% of the movie because of the, the pandemic lockdown. They're getting back into shooting it starting in September. 
And we haven't even talked about Zo how good Zoe Kravitz looked, um, how good, how crazy Colin Farrell looked in all the prosthetics, um, the, the booms and the actions in the crime scene. Like, we're not that crime scene and the camera pans up from the boots and there's, you know, Batman on the crime scene with the police. How great Jeffrey Wright looks. And there's just so much like a two little problems. I didn't like the I'm Vengeance line. I didn't like the haircut of Bruce Wayne. Oh, but that reminds me, Rob, one more one more thing here that I should bring up. Some people I've seen making fun of this shot, but I'll tell you what this shot it was. If I already got hooked from the trailer, this is the shot that reeled me in. It's that shot near the end when Batman takes off the cowl. And he's standing right. there and he's got the black eye makeup and he's like, yes, yes, of course he would have black eye makeup. And of course, his hair is going to be all disheveled and not neat and tidy when he takes off the cowl. But more than that, Rob, this is the part that excited me. In a lot of Batman iterations, even the best ones, once the cowl comes off, the dude is Bruce Wayne again. And I've always said one of the things that makes Ben Affleck's Batman my favorite iteration of Batman is the fact that Ben Affleck in Batman versus Superman, along with Zack Snyder, what they understood about Batman is that Batman is who he is. Bruce Wayne is a fake facade he puts on around other people sometimes. Batman is who he is at his core. And what I loved about this shot is even as the cow comes off, look at those eyes. Look at those eyes. That is vengeance. That is the Batman. That is the guy who is filled with rage and a, and a thirst for justice and who's going to visit terrible retribution on those who would deny that to other people. That's the face of Batman. And I saw that shot and <laughs> I was I was already percolating, Rob, but then I was just bubbling over at that point. I loved it. Anyway, Rob, you and I have not really talked much no. about this Batman trailer. For all I know, you think this trailer is a pile of shit. I just don't know. So, Rob... First of all, touch a little bit on the first part, the preamble, what we heard from Matt Reeves about Batman, but then tell me what your thoughts were of this Batman trailer. Well, one, I really liked hearing that the, I don't know if Matt Reeves said it, but but how this trilogy is unto itself. It doesn't, it doesn't connect to a larger DCEU. It's, it's, it's a meditation on, on the Batman that exists on its own, which I thought was the right way to go. Now, over the last 31 years, well, it'll be 32 years when we see this movie, there's basically, this is the fourth era of Batman. We have the two Tim Burton movies, which is the first era. We have the Joel Schumacher films, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, which is the second era. We have the Christopher Nolan era, and then we have this Matt Reeves era. And the thing that I was most interested in is how is Matt Reeves going to delineate his Batman or his trilogy from what we've seen before. Will it be different enough? And one of, one of the things that I thought was amazing about this trailer, first of all, I love this trailer, but it immediately establishes this is very different from any of the Batman movies we've seen before. It bears very little resemblance to anything that we've seen, uh, which I thought was great. The fact that you look at this and it's immediately a much more gritty realistic, dark, dirty, in-your-face, on-the-streets, crime thriller, as opposed to even the Christopher Nolan movies have an element of fantasy to them that I think this movie is going to not have. 
I think this movie is going to be much more. And, and I think the scene we talked about, that pummeling scene, here's something that I thought was really interesting about that. It's a single shot. There's no cutbacks to the over the shoulder of the guy getting pummeled. So it's a single shot and it shows just how fast Pattinson moves. We've never seen a Batman who can move like a fighter, that who can sting like a bee, like Muhammad Ali. That that pummeling shows Batman move the way we've never seen in a Batman movie because the 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 um, the costumes have always been restricting to a certain extent. Well, not this time. Batman is fast and he is lethal. And like you said, man, ground pound that dude. We've never seen that level of visceral physicality in a Batman character, man. That was like, whoa. I mean, they ain't playing. (laughs) They ain't playing around. And the whole milieu, I mean, people keep uh, relating it to Seven, you know, uh, David Fincher's film Seven. That's how this movie's different. This movie is set on the streets. It is not. I mean, maybe we saw that glimpse of the Batcave. It's it's the fantasy element has been, at least in my mind, completely removed from what we've seen. Now, that's not to say we've got our crazy villains and all that. When I say fantasy element, this movie seems to be set in in absolutely the real world for the very first time. If Batman exists now today on the streets of, say, Chicago even though they filmed Christopher Nolan's movies in Chicago, there was still a very heightened reality. Bane will take you to the crazy prison that he grew up in, or the Joker, you know, will be in Hong Kong, and Batman will be—he'll grab uh, that Hong that Hong Kong businessman or the criminal up with a with a plane. Will come by and scoop him up and all that. There's still this movie doesn't see even the Batmobile. It looks like the 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 Neil Adams Batmobile from the '70s, like a real car. That's been souped up, but it's not the tumbler that was built by Wayne Industries. This was like Bruce Wayne himself bought a muscle car and souped it up in his in his garage, you know, and it felt real. And that's how this Batman movie is different. And when I saw this, I'm like, like you, I watched this trailer over and over again. I'm like, dude, this is awesome. You know what? You you brought up something I think that was a really, really good point. And, and that is that, again, going back to that shot when he's beating the hell out of the guy. Even in Batman movies and in a lot of action films, there is this annoying and frustrating habit that even the best filmmakers do, which is when there's action happening, let's either shake the camera to make it feel really gritty. They shake the camera or they do quick cuts or they go really close punch in like a punch in a zoom in thing. Blah blah. blah, blah. What did Matt Reeves do? We're going to take one medium level shot and hold the damn camera still and let you just take in this visceral violence that's happening here. And them doing that, I, I just thought that was a creative choice that Matt Reeves made that I'm like, if that's an indication of what we can expect from the, from the cinematography of the action, because I find I get to hear people say, if you shake the camera, it immerses you. And if you do quick punch ins and pull outs with cameras, it doesn't. I find that in good action scenes, if you just put the camera down on a damn tripod and hit record and then let the action, if it's properly choreographed, unfold and let us immerse in it, it can be a far more. I'm going to use the word again. I'm overusing it today, but it's a far more visceral experience. When we can do that, and I loved that they did that. 
I hey, you don't love flinch. That you, do that. you don't live yes. no looking away. You what you're seeing is you as an individual, as a human, as a viewer, understand that when they cut when you cut away in an action scene and you shake the camera, that is cinematic language taking over. This was real life smashing you in the face. There was no cutting away. This was real. And the speed with which he moved, I mean, as a viewer, you're like, if that was my face being pummeled, I know how much that would hurt. <laughs> and there was there was no looking away. There was no cuts. There was no because when you cut, you're using perception. You're using different things. This was this was totally your intellect stepping in and understanding how much that would hurt. And man, that was you've never seen that in a Batman movie before. Yeah. And this so, movie's gonna be unflinching, dude. Unflinching. They, they they revealed a cool story. They revealed it's gonna be a, a, a thriller mystery. They revealed that it's gonna have visceral action. They revealed a new look at this mythology. Um again, a couple of little nitpicks I had with it here and there, but but overall, I'm telling you, man. I was excited for I was excited for Batman before I was I was excited for you it, know what else but too? not like this I thought it was really interesting that Batman shows up in the middle of a crowd like he walks into a crime scene like in the middle of the day is Batman and there's all these people around it's not yep. like he shows up in a room just talking to Gordon and leaves I mean apparently everyone knows him <laughs> you know he shows up and he's like what's going on and yep. everybody's there that was unique too. Now, that clearly they new. called him there. They called him there because there was a note left for, you know, to the Batman. So they asked him to come. But still, we've only ever seen that in like some animated stuff where there'd be a crime scene and, and Batman would just be there amongst the cops. For, to have that in there, to have that be one of the first images we see in the trailer, if nothing else, that just screamed to us. This is going to be different from other Batman movies you've seen. And uh, I ate it up. The question for you guys is, what did you think about this Batman trailer. What did you think about Matt Reeves in talking and, and talking about this movie for like 25 minutes? What did you think about the trailer itself? Maybe you had some more problems with it. Maybe you liked it even more than we did. Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With all that down and out of the way, we're now going to move into your live comments and questions. I'm sure we're going to talk a lot more about DC Venom here. And how do you get a live comment or question here? Once again, it's really simple. Just use the tip link in the top of the description of this video. You can just click on that or use it manually. Streamlines.com slash TV slash tip. You're bringing your comment or question on if it's within reason. And you'll be supporting the channel at the same time. So let's get into it here. We're going to start things off with uh, I'm Batman. Hold on, I got to get this thing uh, put up properly because I don't have them there yet. They, I'm Batman who writes, you're welcome. Well, yes, thank you, Batman, for giving us that trailer. All right, Matt M writes, um, do my eyes deceive me? Harley in a more traditional Harley Quinn costume in the Suicide Squad footage? Yes, much preferred to the looks in Suicide Squad and Birds of Prey. It's a total Arkham Injustice slash OG Black Lips hybrid. Now just to crack the code on doing the OG Jester good in a live action movie. Now remember, we saw still images. They released still images of that before. We've seen that before. But we've also been told she's going to have like five costume changes in this movie. So I have a feeling we're going to get a little bit of several different versions of Harley Quinn. But yes, that classic kind of jester look is going to be in there and be a part of it, Matt. All right, next up, an anonymous viewer writes, 
Living in L.A., I was so bummed I wouldn't get to see New Mutants, but fa- thankfully just got my tickets to the drive-in for Thursday. Not sure sure if they'll show Tenant though. And of course, you know, Rob, you and I are going to go see Tenant on Thursday, which I'm very, very excited about. Um, and I, you, you mean know, New I, Mutants? Sorry, sorry, New Mutants. Did I say Tenant? We're going to go yeah. see New Mutants on Thursday. Which, you know, I, I knew I had the option to maybe see it at drive-in, but as much as I love the drive-in, the reality is the image quality is not. You know, it's not stellar. And right. sometimes in the dark scenes, which I think there's going to be a lot of dark scenes in New Mutants, sometimes it's hard to see what's going on. So, you know, I'll take an AMC Prime theater. But uh, I know, listen, it is crazy, Rob, that uh, while it's Christopher Nolan, so I'm obviously more excited about Tenet, I'm almost as excited about New Mutants. I really am. Where, where's your expectation right now? Look, I've wanted to see New Mutants for – I'm a huge fan of the comics. I'm a huge fan of that period in the comics. That's when Bill Sienkiewicz came over from Moon Knight to do New Mutants, and I love the storyline. I'm just – you know, I'm hoping it's great. I'm hoping it's great, and, and it's, you know, it's sort of the last hurrah of the Fox X-Men films. Not sort of. It is. So my expectations are pretty high, and I like Josh Boone as a director, and, um, you know, we're going to see the Stand miniseries he did after this, so – I, I can't wait for this. I'm really excited. All right. Next up here, Austin Alberto writes, Hey, John, what do you think would get a bigger pop in the theater? Robert Downey Jr. returning as Iron Man five years down the line or Tobey Maguire returning as Spider-Man in the MCU and Doctor Strange 2? I personally think it would be Tobey. Keep up the great work. Uh, it's a good question, Austin, but I 1000% agree with you. Absolutely. The bigger pop would be Robert Downey Jr. back as, as, as Iron Man. And I'll give you two important reasons why. Number one, Robert Downey Jr., box office numbers just don't lie. Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man is more popular than Tobey Maguire has ever been as Spider-Man. But the more important reason, Rob, and I'll be curious to see if you agree with me on this or not, is that if five years from now Robert Downey Jr. returns, here's the key difference. No one else has played Iron Man. Robert Downey Jr. is Iron Man. And as long as in the next five years they don't swap out and have another actor play him, he will be the only Iron Man we've ever had. Whereas with Spider-Man, we've had two other actors play him, and some people prefer those other actors playing them. Like for a lot of people, Tom Holland is their favorite Spider-Man ever. So I think while Toby popping up in Doctor Strange 2 would definitely get a big pop, I I don't think it would even compare to the pop that Robert Downey Jr. popping back up as Iron Man, the only guy who's ever played that role versus Toby when other people have played it since and some people even prefer those new people. I don't know. Rob, what do you think would get the bigger pop? Well, look, I mean, I think (laughs) Robert Downey Jr. coming back as Tony Stark would be huge. But I, I don't know... They would have to do it in such a way that you could believe it. And now that they've set up an endgame, different alternate realities, you could you could get away with doing it. I mean, I really do think that you could get away with doing it. But like you said, you know, Tobey Maguire coming back in Sam, it, it, the fact that Sam Raimi is doing Multiverse of Madness, bringing Tobey Maguire back within that context would excite me. I mean, I I was thinking about it like, is that too gimmicky, especially after what they're doing over at DC? I think maybe in a way they could, but they did announce they were making the Multiverse of Madness almost two years ago. 
So now, now that Sam Raimi is directing it, I think if we don't get Tobey Maguire in that movie, it would be kind of disappointing. Because what is a multiverse of madness? How do you display that, especially with that director? But I think, like you said, Tony Stark is the only actor who's ever played. He's only the only actor who's play, ever played Iron Man and probably the only actor who ever will play Iron Man. And I think having him come back, it would be like, you know, when when your favorite sports retired sports hero comes back to play again. It's exciting. You know, it causes a, a ripple through fandom. I don't think we're going to see Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, but I do think there's a decent chance because Sam Raimi has this habit of bringing his buddies along to appear even in cameo roles in his movies. I wouldn't put it by Sam Raimi to get Tobey Toby Maguire himself to appear in a cameo. I just don't know that it would be as Peter Parker, but anything is possible. Anything's possible. All right, it is the up, multiverse of madness. It John. is the multiverse of madness. Welsh Dynamo 95 writes, John, I just wanted to pass on my utmost respect for you. I know this is nothing new for you, but to come off a five hour long show yesterday, my open mic yesterday was five hours long. Five hours, bro. My, I'm, I'm still feeling it. My, th my voice is still feeling it a lot. Uh, but to come off a five hour long show yesterday and still put in a shift uh, every day on the John Campus show is amazing. The devotion you have to your viewers is incredible. Oh, dude, thank you so much, Welsh Dynamo 95. I really appreciate it. It's always nice when somebody writes and just say something nice and it believe me i was having so much fun on yesterday's show it was great and yeah my my voice was pretty raw after we were done but it was a lot of fun and thank you guys for being a part of that with me yesterday and again thank you welsh i appreciate that man for the kind words uh welsh also writes i can't help but feel sometimes that we take your voice for granted anyways to my question what are your thoughts on the road with vigo mortensen thanks John. that's the one that's kind of post-apocalyptic when he's with this kid taking his yeah based his on the cormac mccarthy novel dude Whoa. i i really like that movie i, I again it's vigo mortensen so you know it's going to be a killer performance but I really like that film. What did you think about it, Rob? I liked it too. I read the book, man. One of the more depressing books I've ever read. Hardcore. The movie was hard. Well, not as hardcore as the book, but I liked the book. The movie, as far as you know, end of the world, bleak scenarios go. I, it was good. All right, let's move on here. Next up, we come to Willow, who writes. I'm also not sold on Battinson's look as Bruce Wayne. The hair makes him look like an emo teen. However, I still love the Batman trailer and like the route they seem to be taking with Riddler being like John Doe from Seven. I, that's the other thing I, I mentioned. It felt like a Seven. 2021 can't come sooner. Rob, is it crazy for me to feel like we got a Seven vibe out of that thing or, or like a more traditional, almost like 80s kind of thriller? No, I, I think that's exactly the idea of making the Riddler. I mean, I don't know how, if, if he's out there killing people or what, but I like that. I mean, we do see a guy show up. He looks to be all wired up like a human bomb that looks like to, that they go off. You know, uh, I love that. I love that we're going to go that dark. I think it's great. Okay, let's move on I love here. Seven. I Yo, love yeah. Batman. Put those two movies together. Yeah, how can Bring you lose? On. All right, next up, Johnny5619 writes, uh, if it's Zack Snyder's if Zack Snyder shot everything he needed, uh, why did we need Joss Whedon to come in and finish Justice League? Uh, also, I think uh, think to tell Aaron she was awesome on Lucifer. I wish she had even more screen time. Uh, thanks and have a great day to everyone. And yes, again, she was great. Of course, uh, uh, she is now in uh, episode two of the new season of Lucifer. You can see Aaron in there. I won't spoil anything, but it was real great to see. Okay, this brings up a point, Rob, that I think a lot of people forget or misunderstand or purposefully try to misrepresent. In asking the question, if he already shot everything, why did Joss Whedon need to come in and change it all? Because Warner Brothers didn't like what Zack was shooting. 
Now, they they may have well very well have been wrong to feel that way, but the basic the bottom line is this Warner Brothers did not like what that movie was turning out to be. And we may end up strongly disagreeing with them when we see it, but that's what it was. And that's why there are some people out there who have this impression and paint a false narrative that somehow Joss Whedon came in and stole the footage of the movie and decided to change it. And Warner Brothers just went, oh, okay, Joss, you do that. The reality of the situation was that Warner Brothers didn't like what was being made. And they had already decided this needs to be changed. We, we, we may disagree with them, but that's the decision they came to. This needs to be changed. And we want this gone and this gone. And we want it to be this length, not this length. And we want to have more of a this tone to it than a that tone to it. And we want all this done. And we want it all done still in time to make its release date. So they turn to Joss Whedon say, Joss Whedon. Here's what, here's the task we have for you. Redo all this stuff, change the tone from this to this and still make the release date with no extra time. And you have a limited amount of extra budget. Go and make a movie. And what did Joss Whedon do? He went and he did a, a movie under those impossible circumstances that Warner brothers created. And he ended up turning out a movie that Sorry, guys, this is just the numbers. These are just the facts that had higher audience ratings and higher critic ratings than Batman versus Superman did. Now, I'm not saying that Zack Snyder's version wouldn't have been better, and we're going to find out soon enough. Very well, Zack Snyder's version could have been better, but that was the reality of it. Warner Brothers didn't like what was being made, and they decided it needed to be changed. And at the last minute, with a little time to go, and all that kind of stuff and all these demands, they turned to a guy who probably was the only guy who could pull it off. And we were going to find out if Snyder's vision would have been even better. I suspect I may actually like Snyder's version a little bit better. But that's why when people hear me say that, look, Joss Whedon saved that movie. People think, oh, you're saying he saved it from Zack Snyder? No, no, no. I'm saying he saved it from the situation it was in when Warner Brothers decided they didn't want Zack Snyder's version of the movie. And they had to bring in a director to do something that was nearly impossible to do. And I thought it turned out about as well as it could have turned out. And now we're going to get to see what Zack Snyder's version was going to be because there's new leadership at DC, new leadership at Warner Brothers, who's greenlit this. Rob, this is, <clears throat> this is something that's been a big issue for a while. But, I mean, you, you look at that, and it's part of the reason why it's so surprising that Warner Brothers now, the same company that said, we don't want this version of the movie, is now saying, okay, we'll do it and we'll do it on HBO Max. But how would how would you explain it when somebody comes to you and says, I don't get it, Rob. Like, why, if it was all already shot, why didn't they just finish it the way it was? Like, how do you explain it to them? Well, I, I think that 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 it was really Batman v Superman's reception i mean they thought batman they thought they had a billion dollar hit on their hands and they they saw that and we heard the first time it was screened for warner brothers executives everybody was uh, got a standing ovation or whatever but when they cut the film down and it was released theatrically it did not perform to those expectations 
And I think that they look over and they see that Zack Snyder's approach is relatively it's not lighthearted. It's dark and it's oppressive and it's not as fun and light and buoyant as the old uh, Avengers films. And the the executives knew, obviously, that there was there was this upcoming AT&T merger and people wanted their bonuses and they needed Justice League to work to bolster their credibility. So they decided to change in midstream. They had the perfect excuse with the with the tragedy in Zack Snyder's family. And um, they pivoted. They panicked. They pivoted. They made, I thought, a bad decision. But from a storytelling spreadsheet corporate standpoint, they went and got the one guy who made two Avengers movies that made a billion and a half dollars each and established the MCU as being the great success that it was. So from a spreadsheet standpoint, they did the best thing they could possibly do, which was get Joss Whedon to come in and fix it, according to them, and make it two hours and make it funny. Lighten it up. And I think that was a mistake, and it turned out not to work because – you know, they couldn't get Henry Cavill back, and they opened that movie up. If there's one thing about Justice League that's amazing, the opening scene with that horrible uh, 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 camera footage from the kids of Henry Cavill's face when they digitally removed his mustache, it looked terrible. He didn't even look like Henry Cavill. It was so bad, and that sort of set the tone for what they were doing. It was this ill-conceived hatchet job. And now what we're getting is the – it's always better. The original vision that they set out to do, whether you agree with that vision or not, we're finally going to get to see what, what they made in the first place. All right. Let's move on here. Next up, Man of Steel Rules writes, My wife picked two 1987 movies for us to watch this weekend that I've never seen. Dirty Dancing and Adventures in Babysitting. Wow. Holy crap. That was 1987. Uh, I learned never put baby in a corner and don't F with the babysitter. And the guy who played Kingpin, uh, uh, D'Onofrio, who played Kingpin and Daredevil was jacked in 1987. When you write, actually, when you do go back and you look at Vincent D'Onofrio at different places in his career, it is crazy the various transformations he's gone through. That's a nice little double feature, actually, Man of Steel Rules. Thank your wife. All right. Hello, Rob on Saturday uh, writes, hello, John and Rob. DC fandom got me really excited for the upcoming DC games, but kind of missed the days when Suicide Squad game would be based on the new movie. How do you feel about a video game having the same storyline as the movie it's based on? Um, I think it's fun. I mean, because it creates a connection. Like, you know, the movie, you like the movie. Now you're going to go in and get to play through the movie sort of thing. I like that, but I don't think you have to be handcuffed to it. Like, I don't know, Rob, I don't know if you saw the footage they showed for the Suicide Squad game coming up. Totally different from the movie and totally different from from the animated versions we've seen of some of these characters. But it felt great. So I love it when they follow the movie. I love it when they don't. You just pick what's best for your game. What do you think, Rob? I I agree with you. I mean, you know, one of the great movie tie-in video games of all time was was GoldenEye. For the N64. Oh, it was so great. And it didn't follow the movie, but it was a great game that came out. It, it looked like the film, but it, 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 what a great, what a great game. And if it follows the movie and it, it expands it, as long as the game is good, I'm, I'm okay with it either way. I'm just looking for a great, well-designed game that's fun to play. And a lot of the time, more often than not, if you're trying to follow the movie or if it's thrown out as a movie tie-in, the gameplay sometimes is not so good. Mm. So... E.T. Ugh. 
ET yeah. anybody? All right. Uh, next up, uh, Batman needs a mask. Writes. Greetings, John, and salutations. Uh, my birthday was Saturday. Happy birthday to you, my friend. May you have a great... I hope you had a great day and you have a great year ahead of you. And hearing on the show yesterday that DC Fandom was the seven-year anniversary since Ben Affleck was announced... Uh, uh, brought back memories when I had to halt my 16th birthday party and watch your show. Hashtag sweaty. Yeah, I remember that the day somebody reminded me on the show that it was the anniversary, the seven year anniversary when they announced Ben Affleck as Batman and Schnepp and I hopped online five minutes after they did the announcements and did this video talking about what a great decision it was. And Rob, somebody else mentioned that it just kind of reaffirms that that to be announced panel that was scheduled for DC fandom was absolutely going to be the Ben Affleck announcement. Yeah. And Rob, I think there's now a couple of pieces of evidence that make it indisputable that that's what was going to happen because number one, the flash panel was scheduled to happen before the to be announced panel, right? So if the Ben Affleck announcement was going to be the to be announced panel, that would explain why during the Flash panel, there was no mention of Ben Affleck being back for the movie. There was no mention of it. Obviously, that's because they were saving it for the panel that was to come. We already said it was way too coincidental that the same day they released the story to Vanity Fair and Deadline was also the same day they happened to pull that to be announced panel on. That was just far too coincidental. But also the anniversary weekend of when Ben Affleck was first announced to be Batman. I mean, you put all these pieces. Though, Rob, is there any doubt at this point? Like, really, we, we don't have anybody confirming it. But is there any doubt at this point that that to be announced panel was indeed going to be the Ben Affleck announcement? I don't think so. You know, it's interesting. Umberto Gonzalez reported that, like, I was talking about that I'm like, Ben Affleck had to have had some kind of contribution on the script. Gonzalez reported that he did, in fact, have uh, – uh, he was contributing to the script and knew that it happened, and he waited before it was confirmed. And I think that that they knew that was coming, and for whatever reason, they dropped it in Vanity Fair first. And in a way, at first, I'm like, why did you do that? But you know what? That announcement, knowing that that was coming, I mean, if can you imagine, John, if you had announced that Ben Affleck was coming back as Batman during the fan fandom event, half the reporters would have jumped out of the event and gone to report it online and they would have missed other things by by announcing Ben Affleck coming back beforehand. It made it made your interest, I think. Everybody's interest was more on that event and you stuck with it as opposed to having all the, the pundits bail and go record their their commentary. So I, I think I in a way I agree with that because because right. couldn't you say the same thing about as soon as they show the Suicide Squad teaser, all the pundits are going to go and write and record their videos yeah, and no do their reactions of the trailer and all that kind of stuff. I, I So I think you could do, you make think, big but, announcements, you report on it and then you come back to it. But that was that news was the biggest news. I mean, I it, think it was, people yep. people didn't want to they didn't want to miss out on on what else was announced because now, you know I, overall I, they did announce some great stuff and and what people were saying like if you had missed Walter Hamada's talk or you had missed Matt Reeves' talk and you'd saw, seen the trailer or, or, or bailed there's things there's things that I think that a, a good reporter would need to put all of this in context. 
But, you know, you're right. I mean, maybe I'm making more of it. But I, I think in a way it helped the focus stay on the whole Fandome event instead of just one thing. Whereas uh, I, I think if they had announced Ben Affleck, people would have been like, oh, my God, it would have overshadowed the whole rest of the, the event. I, I don't I'm, think it would have. I, I mean, because, again, you look at other things where they make big events. And, and on top of all that, if that was their thinking, they would have thought that three weeks ago, not like just 24 hours before this is supposed to have and then suddenly at the last second pull the thing out i well, think no, they, what is more they, likely they did a big pivot man pivoting to I, making I this in two, two I days think, i think it's what you and i had already agreed on actually I, I still believe it's a they it came to their attention that it was about to break anyway that somebody that they didn't want to have find out had found out and it was going to break anyway mm -hmm. so they needed to get ahead of it and release the information themselves and then last second have to pull the thing off I, I think that's more likely i don't think like if you're trying to do an event at least this is what it seems to me if you're trying to do an event to create big pop and big buzz and get everybody's attention and all this kind of stuff you don't take the best part or, or the part that will create the biggest pop and the biggest explosion, all that kind of stuff. And at the last second, pull it out. If anything, you drop that at like three o'clock, then it's like, well, holy shit, what else are they going to show today? And, yeah. and and I think so. I don't know. But hey, look, you know what? But also don't forget, like Gonzalez also reported that uh, he said he had reliable sources that told him that Ben Affleck's appearance in Flash is going to be a quick cameo. So, I mean... Who knows? We'll see. Uh, but it could be anything. It could be any of those things. I mean, maybe they did pivot. Like you're saying, they maybe they just decided to make a pivot at the last second. That's possible, too. But whatever it was, it did play out the way it did. And it was I just thought it was interesting because I think they would have had Ben Affleck mentioned in that flash because it's a flash panel. You're going to have Ben Affleck back. You're back and you're doing a flash panel and you're not going to mention it. I just think that kind of points that they were going to do yeah. it a little bit later. But Rob, listen. As always, thank you for contributing, as Khan would say, your superior intellect and uh, your insight into this uh, today's show. We know you've got other things you got to do right now, so I know you got to split. But in the meantime, Rob, where can people follow you and your adventures online? Uh, you can find me, of course, on Twitter at Burnett RM. Find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett or find me on my own YouTube, on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work, and its adjacent website, TheBurnettWork.net. Dude, it's always an honor having you here, and we will talk to you again later, my man. I'll see you later. Have a good show. Take care. All right, guys. We still have a few other questions to get to. We've got about 20 minutes left, so keep, let's keep flying through the rest of your questions. Next up comes to us from Isaac Beebe, who writes, Interesting song choice for the Snyder Cut. It was, but I liked it. I thought it worked. I love that song, and I think it actually fit really well with the teaser, uh, with the choice of the shots and the decision to have no dialogue until the very end. But why was it in 4 by 3 Oh, was it by 4 by 3 aspect? You know what? I didn't even notice. I was just so wrapped up in the trailer itself. I, it, was it 4 by 3 aspect ratio? I didn't even pay attention. I, I didn't even notice if it wasn't four by three aspect ratio, but everything again, I think the way this teaser was designed, I thought it was given the context, the movie, the, the, the miniseries is still a year away from coming out on HBO max. It's our first look at it. I thought it was utter perfection. I, I, I thought what Snyder and WB and HBO max decided to make that first teaser I thought it was utter perfection given the circumstances at the moment. 
and uh, for everything from the music choice to the pacing of it, what they decided to show, how, how much they made it feel like the actual movie we already have versus dropping in these things that are new shots to see. I just don't think it could have been done any better. I really can't think of a thing that I can look at and go, this is what would have made this first look better. I really can't. I think if they showed any more, it would have been a mistake. I think if they showed any less, it would have been a mistake. I, I just thought they did a masterful job putting that thing together. I really do. Give them their due, man. All right. Isaac BB also writes, also the trailer for Gotham Knights. The you know, I didn't see that one. I didn't see that trailer. The trailer for Gotham Knights, the continuation of the Arkham game series was amazing. But the message from Bruce Wayne saying, if you're watching this, I'm dead. His voice was not Kevin Conroy's, even though he voiced Batman in every other game. Uh, listen, you can't always use the same voice actor. You know, just like, you know, the voice of Optimus Prime will change depending on a new series or whatever. The voice of Megatron changes. Uh, we've seen, you know, other voices for it. They don't always get uh, Mark Hamill in to do the voice of Joker. I mean, you change the voices. So, again, I didn't see that that teaser, Isaac, but I don't think it's a tremendously big deal if they went with a different voice actor for this one time. I, I mean, I, but again, I don't know. I didn't see it myself. All right. Uh, Jordan RTK writes. Hey, John, when I asked the question yesterday about Deadshot, Katana, etc. coming back in Suicide Squad, my, what I meant was in later, oh, in later sequels, not popping up in this movie. I see what you're saying. I meant in later sequels. I read somewhere that they didn't recast them, so they have the option to return later, but I can't remember where. Well, I mean, no, you don't need a report saying that. I mean, that just makes common sense. I mean, it also, it wouldn't surprise me if James Gunn just wanted some crazier different characters. But yeah, is there a possibility that if they do more Suicide Squad movies later that we could see uh, Katana, that we could see Killer Croc, that we could see Deadshot, that we could see these characters, some of the characters who appeared in the first one and not in this one. Can we see them come back? Absolutely. That's a possibility. It absolutely is. I don't know if it's likely. I don't know if it's being planned. But that the possibilities there, 100%. I don't think the fact that they're not in this one precludes them ever from coming back. Not at all. All right. Thanks for clarifying that, Jordan. Next up, be appreciative, writes. Riddle me this. If Keaton comes back as a Batman that can turn his head, <laughs> does it even count? And if fans don't stop being greedy, trying to get bail, the movie should punish them with a, a stop in Nolan's Batverse, now led by Joseph Gordon-Levitt's Batman. Well, there you go. But yeah, it is funny. When you do go back and watch the old Tim Burton-directed Michael Keaton Batman, it is funny today because today we have Batman who can turn their heads, right? So it, that is now that we have that, it is funny going back and watching that original movie and seeing when he needs to look at the chips on the wall, he can't do this. He has to do this, right? It is a little weird seeing that, but hey, that was costuming of the day. All right, next up, Super Jobber writes, prime example of a Holy Trinity loss that wasn't jobbing. Bane, this is a great example. Bane beating Batman in The Dark Knight Rises. The bat was coming out of retirement and not full strength, fighting a ridiculously strong Bane that couldn't feel pain. Bat lost, but didn't job. Great example. We've been talking the last few days about, you know, uh, what a jobber. A jobber is somebody who goes into a fight specifically to lose to make the other person look good, right? And, but you can have, and I say, it's fine to job people, 
but you never job. If you're in the DC universe, you should never, ever, ever job the Trinity. Not Wonder Woman, not Batman, and certainly not Superman. You never job those characters, like what the Supergirl show on CW does all the time. You never job those characters. But you can have a character lose a fight without it being a job. Just say that the circumstances created a maybe unfair advantage for the opponent that allowed them to best the hero for whatever given circumstances or reasons. That Bane example, perfect example. Super Jobber, excellent, excellent example. That is a prime example of how you can have what even one of the Trinity lose a fight, but it not be a job because the circumstances dictated an unfair or unusual advantage or upper hand that may not be the normal situation. Excellent example, man. Well done. All right. Ryan Loner writes, neat Lucifer casting tidbit. In the episode with the nuns, I love that episode, by the way, the Mother Superior was the singer at the New Year's Eve party in Godfather 2. I had no idea about that, which I know because I loved her so much in Jane the Virgin. All right. Now I'm going to have to go and pop on. I'm going to have to go and pop on Godfather 2 just to see that now. Because I had no idea that was the lady. That's great. I love these little ca casting bits of info. Thank you so much, Ryan, for including that in there. All right. The emo bat arrives, writes, I wasn't feeling emo Bruce Wayne, but when an unhinged Batman beats the holy hell out of that thug, Joker's thug, um, even when he was down, I was sold. Quintessential Batman. You cheer, you cheer him, but also quickly rise. He's this close to crossing the line. Yeah, this is, that's the thing. You know, all the cartoons and all, even in the comics and even like in the movies, they sometimes they suggest, you know, Batman's kind of messed up. That's always hinted at. It's always hinted at that Batman's kind of messed up, but we always see him completely in control and with a lot of restraint. And Matt Reeves has told us that, that the rage of the bat, that less restrained, you're going to see it play out a little bit. And I'm with you, man. Like when <laughs> that shot was so great, but it's not just that when he's beating the hell out of the guy, it's that last shot again. Uh, it's that final shot when he's taking off the cowl, right? And you just look at him. Like the best images from movies are images that in a single frame communicate something about the soul of the movie. This one still image alone communicates so much about the soul of Batman, right? I mean, just look at just the eyes, right? absolutely awesome and i totally dig it thanks for sharing that dude all right next up uh dark knight rises writes hey john in the dark knight rises catwoman leads batman into a trap which bane beats the living tar out of batman so why would batman ever trust her again well listen that's that's a uh, that's a plot device we see play out all the time in tons of movies particularly in tv shows where actually you know talking about lucifer how many times is maze done the wrong thing yeah if we're talking about lucifer like how many times has maze done the wrong thing but in a lot of different movies and tv shows sometimes an ally to the hero gets confused or misled or whatever and ends up kind of setting up our hero 
and then they learn from the mistake and the hero understands and whatever. So I, it's not a new thing. It's not like that just ever happened in The Dark Knight Rises. That's a little plot device that happens in a lot of different stories. But you're, you're right to point it out, though. You're totally right to point it out. All right. Scott McScottington writes, hey, John and gang, hope you all are doing well. With the new Snyder Cut coming out soon and supposedly, supposedly uh, being the better fleshed out uh uh, version of the movie will it be the new canon for the dc movies going forward or will the theatrical cut still be canon going on i think this is ultimately it it's irrelevant i think there are things that are going to happen in this movie in the snyder cut that don't happen in the um in the theatrical version but ultimately the basic story the basic story you know, we heard Warner Brothers say this before. The basic story of what the Snyder Cut is and what ultimately came out in the theaters is the same basic story. And so either way, that's canon. Whether or not Flash at some point ran out of a building to save this one girl, is that really important whether that's canon or not? Sure. I, I'd say, but because I think they fall, both follow this, they are, they are built upon the same basic story um they are both canon and then whatever gets revealed i think in the hbo miniseries is is can is considered canon but i mean the minutia of things we call canon like i said like uh dude uh oh he ordered a hamburger in this scene is that canon well it doesn't matter if that's canon you know, uh, this show, there was a shot in this that wasn't in the other one that shows him also turning left before turning right. Is that canon? Well, it doesn't matter if it's canon. Ultimately, they're built upon the same basic story, and therefore that is canon. But yes, I do think that whatever extra things we see in the HBO Max miniseries, I think those will be considered canon. But again, I think they're going to be details. I think they're going to be details rather than overall you know, narrative things, uh, but the, we'll find out. But either way, either way, right or wrong, I, I think whatever we see in that is going to be considered canon. At least that's my guess. I, I haven't heard anybody say that for sure, but my guess is that will be considered canon. All right, Dave writes, uh, rather than cross over, the recent Batman trailer makes me wonder how you'd feel if Pattinson's Batman takes place in a post-Arthur Fleck world. Uh, Fleck's long-term influence on the Gotham and Bruce dealing with the legacy of the shady Tom Wayne could be fun to see. I'm not interested. I'm not, uh, again, to me, what made it wonderful and what Walter Hamada kind of re-emphasized at DC Fandom is that these are standalone worlds. And what made you know, the Joker movie so incredible was that it was completely detached from anything else. I think suddenly now throwing this Batman into that world, it I, I think it belittles it, to be honest with you. I think it undermines this Batman. By the way, now you're handcuffing this Batman. If you're saying this takes place in that same world, well, now you don't have the option to use Joker later because Joker would be like 70 years old in, in this Robert Pattinson Batman world. He'd be like 70 plus years old at this point. So I think you're handcuffing this Batman and I think you're undermining what happened and what was accomplished in that Joker movie. So I, I personally wouldn't like it. I it personally, I, I wouldn't like the decision if they did something like that. I, so I don't think they will. You never know, 
but I, if they did do it, I personally wouldn't be a fan of the, uh, of the decision. All right. El Postino, the postman writes, Hey, John and Rob, if new mutants is the greatest film of all time, makes $3 billion and sweeps the Academy Awards. Will its IP be rolled into the MCU? Also is new mutants connected in any way to the ending of one of the actual greatest movies ever made Logan? Well, here's the thing. You got to understand all of the X-Men movies and X-Men universe movies at Fox didn't really have any continuity. They had some continuity, but it continuity wasn't important to them. You know, I would always joke that if you went into the hallowed halls of Fox studios, chiseled and granite are the words continuity, schmontinuity. They never cared. They were constantly changing things in continuity and it wasn't an issue to them. They only cared about, let's just make the best movie possible. And sometimes they succeeded in spades. Sometimes they failed, but they didn't, they never really seemed to care all that much about continuity. So is there some loose connection between new mutants and Logan? There probably is some loose connection, but is it continuity? Is it in continuity? Is it canon? Well, no, probably not because they don't really go that way. So I would kind of guess no. And as far as would they incorporate into the MCU? No, Kevin Feige is very territorial. And this is part of what makes him so great and what makes his movie so great. But Kevin Feige is hyper territorial. The stuff in his MCU is the stuff that he creates. And the stuff that he had total control over. I think that's part of the reason why you're not going to see Netflix's Daredevil in the MCU. You're going to get a new Daredevil, one that Kevin Feige creates. And um, so, again, anything is possible, though. You never know. It could be. Uh, I'm just going to say I doubt it, even if it made $3 billion at the box office and won all the Academy Awards. Good question, though, El Postino. All right. Senior Ashish writes, I absolutely love Pattinson's look for Wayne. He looks to have uh, he looks to have never recovered from the childhood trauma of his parents' murder. He's angry, broken, disheveled, a true victim of violence, forever scarred. Uh, Batman is his psychological uh, is his psychological pulling of the trigger. Well, I don't know that I agree with you on that. See. I think this picture makes him look like that, but this is Batman. You know, this isn't Bruce Wayne. I think when we're talking Bruce Wayne, let me get over here and see if I can find the part. Yeah, this is it. I think, you know, this is, this is Bruce Wayne. Like he doesn't look whatever here. I I'm just, again, it's such a small nitpick. I admit it is such a small nitpick. I'm just saying, I think the Bruce, I would have liked to seen a more clean cut since that is his, his image and his fake persona, his Bruce Wayne is his fake persona. I think he would have put a little more effort into being that clean cut. Whatever, whatever it is, what it is. I'll get over it. I'll get over it pretty quick too. All right. Thanks a lot for saying that in senior. All right. Uh, Jesse writes, in my opinion, the Batman trailer has been the best trailer I've seen this year, and it's made me more excited for an upcoming movie than I've been in a while. In fact, I think fandom, fandom had a lot of exciting announcements. It's a good time to be a fan. It is. And you know what? None of us mentioned this, and I really should. One of the reasons that I'm really thankful for DC fandom is the fact that we get this big, and it was more than just movies. It was video games. It was comic books. Yeah, yeah, but really, the stuff we were all interested in was the movie stuff. One of the things that makes me really thankful for DC fandom is we haven't had a lot as movie fans for the past five or six months to get excited about, right? 
And I think that's something that I, I've kind of overlooked, and I think a lot of us have overlooked, is that for for almost half a year, we as movie fans haven't really had a lot to get really excited about. To have DC fandom happen, this big celebration, yes, comic books, video games, other things too, yes, 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 yes. But for those of us who are mainly focused on the movie stuff, to have something like this come out right now, when we are just dying to have something movie related to celebrate and for them in one day to drop suicide squad footage and a wonder woman trailer and give us insights into black Adam and the justice league thing and the Batman trailer. And you know, a first look at the flash costume, whether you like the flash costume, I'm not big on the flash costume, but whatever, you know, all this stuff, the, the day before the announcement that Ben Affleck is back as Batman. I mean, it's just, it's such a gift to us movie fans who have been waiting to celebrate movies again. And even though it's not a movie that's in a theater, it was an event online, even still, it allowed us as movie fans to celebrate movies. Very self-serving for DC, of course it is, I mean, that, that's their job. But I mean, it really was a gift for us movie fans to have that, to have a whole day couple of days to talk about speculate celebrate uh some movie related stuff it's, it was pretty special i i didn't realize how much i have missed that because normally we got four new movies opening every single week and therefore all these announcements coming all the time and we have taken that for granted i know i have and to have this dc fandom thing come and happen so we can all celebrate and and cheer and you know, seriously, guys, what what a gift. What a gift that it, it turned out being. So, yeah, anyway, thanks for writing that in. Um, I think that was Jesse. Next up, Ryan writes, we only got time for a few more, guys. We're almost out of time here. Ryan writes, my three-year-old nephew is a big fan of Toy Story. Nice. Was listening to your podcast outside by the pool when he was out there uh, with me. And when you were talking, he kept saying, it's Woody. <laughs> it's Woody. So basically, he thinks you're Tom Hanks. Anne will be thrilled. Oh, Anne would be thrilled if I was Tom Hanks. Clearly, I'm not. And you know what? I always get a big kick when people write in and not only let me know that they're listening or watching the show, but that they're listening, watching the show, particularly with their kids or, you know, their nephews or nieces. And, um, it's, it's, it's humbling. And it's a real honor to know that you're not only listening, but you're sharing it with somebody else. And that's awesome. And the fact that he thinks I sound like, I've never thought I sounded like Tom Hanks, but I'll take it. Thank you very much. All right. Next up, Patrick Conway writes, uh, saw a Twister with Bill Paxton. Nice. It's been a while since I've watched that, actually. Uh, saw a Twister with Bill Paxton last night. It really is a movie that is just stupid and fun and carried by Bill's charm. It really is. Uh, Bill was always a highlight in everything he was in, even Thunderbirds. Love that Whedon got his son to play the young version of Bill in AOS. And you know, when I think of, of Bill Paxton, obviously aliens and things like that. But I always go to, when I think about him, I go to my favorite action film of all time, which is J the James Cameron directed Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, uh, Lee Curtis movie, uh, true lies, which is my favorite action film of all time. And like Jamie Lee Curtis and Arnold Schwarzenegger's chemistry in that is so good. But Bill Paxton it's funny, like Tom Arnold is really funny in the movie, and all, but Bill Paxton, 
like in his scenes, he like elevates it. I got a tiny dick. It's pathetic. I mean, he's so funny and so great. And, and throughout his career, he was able to do more than that. But he was always able to bring this charm and charisma to his stuff that I always really liked. And anyway, thanks for sharing that, man. Simon writes, it was funny hearing that you lost it in your pants after you heard that Ben Affleck is returning as Batman. John, keep it filthy and explain how you've managed after you lost it. Are the pants clean? The pants are clean. But I'm telling you, man, that was a that was a joyous day. You know, I've been saying over and over again, but it's true. Like you get great news and it's always great when you get great news. It's always great. But what takes it to the next level? It's when it's news that you really never thought you were going to get. Like if you're a great actor and you gave the performance of a lifetime and you're nominated for an Academy Award and you win, there's and you there was part of you that thought you could win. And so you get it and you're thrilled and you're happy. Yes. But if you go into the Academy Awards thinking, I had no business even being nominated. I'm never going to win this. And then you win. It's like your joygasm goes to another level. And I never thought we'd get to see another frame of Ben Affleck as Batman. And so to hear that I'm getting my favorite Batman of all time back again. Oh, yeah, it was pretty special, man. It, it's pretty special. All right. Patrick Conway writes. Uh, let's see. Patrick Conway writes, for me, the Wonder Woman 84 trailer was okay. Preferred the first one. I preferred the first one too, to be honest with you. Uh, Justice League trailer was meh. I, th I thought it was great, but anyway. Uh, also annoyed that they're ignoring the Ezra drama, but Suicide Squad was the highlight. And the Batman trailer was brilliant, and I'm not even a Batman fan. Yeah, I got to tell you, listen, that Suicide Squad panel, it was number one, it was easily the best panel. I mean, th th it was so much fun to watch. And then they led into like the introduction of who all the characters are and what actors are playing them. And they then they showed that sizzle. And oh my God, we saw King Shark picking up a guy to eat him. I, I mean, I, I can only imagine how bonkers this thing is going to be. And yeah, Suicide Squad, other than the Batman trailer, I thought the Suicide Squad footage was the next big thing. Oh, but that reminds me, guys. You know what? I haven't covered today's uh, question of the day. I meant to do this a little bit earlier, but just before the show started, we can we can do this right now. We'll get to this right now. Just before the show started, I asked you guys uh, in our question of the day, this is in the um, community tab on the YouTube channel. By the way, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel, guys. Just click on that subscribe button and you'll also get notified when we put up like polls like our question of the day. But our question of the day that we asked, what was the best thing to come out of the DC fandom? And I gave you guys five options. The Black Adam presentation, Suicide Squad teaser, Justice League teaser, uh, the Batman teaser, or the Wonder Woman 84 trailer. And by a mile, I put this up just before the show started, 6,000, over 6,000 of you guys have already voted. By a mile, uh, you guys think the Batman trailer was the best thing to come out of DC fandom. That's at 75% right now. Wonder, Wonder Woman 84 got 4% of the vote. The Justice League trailer got 14% of the vote. Suicide Squad teaser got 5% of the vote. And Black Adam got the presentation got 2% of the vote. Uh, again, that's with over 6,000 of you guys. So easily by a mile, uh, you guys by and large felt that the Batman trailer was the best trailer that we got out of uh, DC fandom and listen guys we are now at the two-hour mark so that will wrap it up today but don't worry I know there's still some questions to come here we've got Uptown Geek Keaton Toothman uh, and, and many others still to come don't worry we will start off the live questions part of the show tomorrow with your questions and we'll get through all the remaining questions before we get into the new ones tomorrow so thank you for sending those questions in we've run out of time but we will get to your questions tomorrow 
make sure you come back and join us for that. In the meantime, guys, special thank you to Robert Meyer Burnett for being here and joining us today. Thank you to all of you for making this show a part of your day. There's a lot of things you could be doing, but you decided to spend a part of your day with us. And we thank you for that. And a special thank you to all of you guys who sent in those questions. Because number one, you gave us great fun things to talk about. And number two, you supported the channel while you did it. Guys, please go forth and do the four smart things. Be smart, be safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. Make sure you join us again tomorrow. My name is John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.